Worried about making your minimum credit card payments? How about owing hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on your art collection? An incredible story about impulsive shopping, getting overextended, getting totally out of control, and what we can learn from the whole mess. That and so much more on this edition of Money with Friends. Welcome to the Money with Friends podcast. I'm certified financial planner, Bobby Rebell, host of the Financial Grown-Up podcast, coming to you from my very grown-up kitchen in New York City. And coming to you from my mom's half-finished basement just outside Detroit, Michigan, where we make the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihai. This is the Money News Show that includes commentary about recent headlines and stories with thought leaders from across the financial landscape. We break them down into what matters to you, our friends, and we leave you with a takeaway to make it your own. Today's uh, show is brought to you by Bestow. Thanks to them for supporting Money with Friends. Bestow's term life insurance that's 100% online and that never requires a medical exam. Prices start at $3 a month. How do you get it? Apply at hellobestow.com slash MWF. That's hello, B-E-S-T-O-W dot com slash MWF. And nothing better, Bobby, than getting your life insurance in order just before the week where you're going to begin celebrating the holidays, being around friends and family. Get the life insurance. Before you eat that big turkey dinner, have good life insurance. And also making sure your family has good life insurance in place. The story we're going to talk about today has to do with a family. And I definitely would be worried about the different generations making sure that all of their financial um, important things, let's just say, including, of course, insurance are in place because uh, times change and it's important to be there for your family. Yeah, we're going to dive into it right now. But first, let's see which one of our friends is going to help us kick off today's show. This is Andy from Derby, Vermont. The Money Talking Party starts now. It's time for Money with Friends. This piece is from the Wall Street Journal, written by Kelly Crow. Uh, it is a fairly long piece, so if you want the rest of it, head to our uh, website, uh, moneywithfriendspodcast.com, for the whole thing. But I think we'll get through a good piece of it. Kelly writes, St. Louis insurance executive Donald L. Bryant Jr. pumped his fist in Sotheby's hushed New York sales room when he won a $37 million Gerhard Richter streetscape six years ago. His third wife, Bettina Bryant, soon felt something closer to dread. Mr. Bryant didn't know it yet, but he had Alzheimer's disease and he didn't have the cash to pay for the 1968 view of Cathedral Square, Milan. The couple had to take out several loans, including one collateralized by 13 works by artists like Ellsworth Kelly and Jasper Johns. They also got an advance from Christie's in exchange for auctioning off a Willem de Kooning later that year. For Ms. Bryant, a former ballerina and art advisor, it was an education. These days, the whole art world's getting a crash course in leverage and worries are growing that cases like the Bryans could prove a tipping point for banks and borrowers alike amid an increasingly skittish art market. The family's holdings, at one point valued at more than $300 million, represent one of the world's greatest private collections of post-war American and German art. They are encumbered with more than $90 million in art-backed loans. And with the 77-year-old Mr. Bryant no longer able to weigh in, Ms. Bryant, 52, has been doing everything she can to make monthly interest payments totaling around $300 thousand dollars last year she sold a whole vacation home in indian wells california and she is squeezing as much income as possible from the couple's napa valley winery she said she has quote more than adequate assets to meet her financial obligations and hopes to keep the collection largely intact yet works from the group have turned up for sale at art fairs this fall 
including a Christian Shad portrait of a woman in Richard Nagy's booth at the European Fine Art Fair in New York City. And further down the piece, it goes on to say, Today's art-backed loans have gotten larger and riskier for collectors as the art market has started to shrink. U.S. collectors staked their art to borrow up to $24 billion this year, more than double the level a decade earlier, according to the latest data compiled by the Deloitte accounting firm and by Art Tactic, an auction database company. Some affluent borrowers tap their art like a piggy bank to fund living expenses. Others, Others use the loans to buy more art. But after a four-year rise, the global art market has started to retrench with the value of sales down 22% at Christie's auctions in the first six months of 2019 compared with the same period a year earlier. Last week's $1.4 billion major fall auctions in New York were a third smaller. It's interesting to me, Bobby, that, um, you know, as we have talk about a possible recession, of course, we've had this talk for a while, but a possible recession with stocks and as uh, the Federal Reserve has eased interest rates to try to keep the economy expanding. It doesn't surprise me that in the art world, we're already seeing some of this, right? We're already seeing some of the richest people in the world starting to see assets that generally are for the rich starting to do what we all expect stocks to do at some point, go through a a retrenchment, as they say in the piece. But remember, art is a very unique kind of investment because it is illiquid. It can be very hard to sell. The value can drop for, you know, no predictable reason very quickly. And sometimes there's literally no buyer. I mean, the the lack of liquidity is a very serious thing. And what's also interesting in this piece is they talk about the fact that it used to be you could maybe get a loan for up to 50% of a painting. Now it's much less than that because the people loaning the money are clearly concerned. What's phenomenal, though, is over the long, much longer periods of time, and who knows if this is going to continue, but over long periods of time, art in stocks have kind of had similar trajectories, actually, in a a lot of decades, art beating the pants off of stocks. So, uh, But the problem has been that it's been hard for people to get into art, right? But these problems that people are having are really the same problems we see anywhere. When you start borrowing against your investments, you start borrowing against your investments, bad things happen. Well, it's very similar to almost, you know, buying, you know, stocks on leverage because in some cases there, and that's why this to some degree has nothing to do with art. It has to do with overextending yourself regardless of what the asset is that you're buying and leveraging so much that if things don't go perfectly, you're actually more vulnerable than you do if you just, you know, hold stocks in a long position. This is the question, you know, um, she is starting to, uh, you feel like she's building a moat around the art by selling off these other things like property and, and, mm-hmm. and other assets that the family has. I was, I don't know if you found yourself thinking this, but I was wondering if that was the right move. Like if it made better sense to sell art, I suppose though, if auctions aren't going well for art, the more you can hold on to those while real estate's still booming, right? Sell off real estate while it's booming and hold on to the art for a better day. Maybe that's the strategy. Maybe, but I think there's also a very human element to this, Joe. I mean, she is an art consultant, and so she may um, not want to sell art because in some ways it might be that maybe she selected the wrong art 
as in, you know, they met in the context of the art world. There's more detail in the story about how they met and they, they were at a lot of the same events. And so they're sort of in that world. So this is, you know, she's also, if she were to sell and people found out it's, it's symbolic. It has larger meaning because she's someone that is in that world. So there's some human element to that. And we don't know what she's, what properties she's selling. They may be properties that were affiliated with a second wife for all we know. And she's happy to get rid of those. I mean, this is a, this is, it's interesting here. You know, there's a whole dynamic in the piece and I hope people will go to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com and look at the whole piece, but there's a whole dynamic going on a family dynamic. And this is why I mentioned it before we got into the story where she's the third wife and there are kids from previous marriages. And so there's other things going on with who's really in charge. This is someone who was shopping for art, spending, I think, $37 million on something when at the time they didn't know it, but he did have Alzheimer's at the time. So he's buying something not knowing. Totally unrelated aspect to the story. If we have people in our life, we've talked about elder care that aren't fully mentally sound to be making purchasing decisions. We have to have the things in place to protect them. And this guy, this, the mess started because he was buying stuff that he couldn't afford when he wasn't mentally fit to be doing it. And that's, that's just tough. That, that even at this level is still heartbreaking. Well, I, well, it is. And I get the feeling though, that they're also emotional about art. I mean, if she's in the Mm -hmm. art world, he's a big art collector. Like to some degree, they're holding on to this also because of the emotions behind it. And um, totally agree. You know, it's kind of like on a much larger schedule, me, me and my board game collection. Like there are some games that are worth, you know, $24, $25. I don't want to get rid of those, Bobby. I don't, I don't want to sell those. I mean, it's very much the same thing, I'm sure. But they, (laughs) but, but, but on a serious note, I think, I think this is where the problem is. It's an asset class that they're emotional about and they have leverage on it at the same time. Like having this emotional baggage attached to your investment is just an absolutely horrible place to be. Well, what's interesting is I I think there's a lack of communication here also between the couple because he bought this when he couldn't afford it, but he didn't necessarily know that because his Alzheimer's. And then she is an art consultant, but that doesn't mean that she's qualified to really manage his finances. So I wonder, do we have people in the mix there that are non-stakeholders that can help or is she really making all of these decisions and the children are worried there's again read this whole article there's a lot of dynamics going on with the kids and who's really protecting this generational wealth well but focusing on the one piece that's in the the stuff that's in the piece that we read the part that we read uh uh these retrenchments with any asset class is going to happen so stocking up on one type of investment whether it's art or stocks or real estate or whatever it is you have to expect that you're going to have these natural cycles right i mean every investment goes through a cycle arts have seems to be having its day right now Yes, absolutely. And they are working through it. By the way, we did do a quick Instagram poll. I was just curious. This is related, but not, you know, to the heart of this. But I was curious if our money friends have ever bought art as an investment. What do you think they said? If this is an asset class that our audience is I would say 10% or less on this one. You are right on. 8% said yes. 92% said not my thing. And I think that's interesting. I think part of it is because art is something that can be intimidating it shouldn't be, but it can be. And it's something that, you know, we talk about these huge numbers, but there's a lot of art you can buy for much less, but it's not always available to people at an investment. There are places that are now starting to move into that space, which is good because there's diver- it's an opportunity for diversification of your assets when the stock market continues to re- reach record highs and people look for other opportunities. You can invest in art through different ways now, but I think it's not something people know about and therefore they don't invest in. Yeah. 
we do this show in front of a Facebook audience. If you want to hang out with us while we make the donuts, head to <laughs> facebook.com forward slash Benjamins. Our friend Jim from Wallet Hacks, who hung out with us in season one, uh, says the fantastic well the fantastically wealthy are just like us. Instead of student loans, credit card debt, they've got art debt. They have to sell vacation homes to service art debt. Sounds like uh, Jim might be poking a little fun at at uh, at that. Possibly yeah. a little bit. A little bit, but I, I also I I mean, look, I do this a lot, but I I think that we also have sympathy for everyone, no matter what their income level is. This is a guy with Alzheimer's who you know purchased something he shouldn't purchase, and that can happen at any level. And to that degree, I think we should all be understanding. Um, we did have a comment um, that regarding our poll on Instagram from Sarah, and she said, "If you know art, love it, and understand it as an investment, go for it." And I would agree with that, as with any other asset class. Sure. I like what Gregory's saying here with us on Facebook. He says he consider maybe a collectible ETF or a fund, but personally he'd worry about idiosyncratic risk, meaning that particular thing. With especially piece of art like you were talking about, if there's one artist that goes out of favor, it can be a bad day. That said again, you know, if you want to make a huge amount of money, you need to under diversify. So the opposite can happen too. You pick the right artist, it goes through the rough. Who knows? Especially, exactly. especially with our who knows. Hey, in just a second, you'll have Bobby and my big takeaways from this piece. But before we get there, I want to say something about our sponsor, Bestow, because we're so happy Bestow supports this episode of Money with Friends. Life insurance is important, but the process shouldn't take forever. If you're familiar with how you go about getting life insurance, you're going to know that there's this potential for it to be super excruciating. These long forms, medical exam a couple weeks later, and then the long wait for a price that might or might not be what you expected. Well, you got other stuff to do, so Bestow makes it super easy. They offer term life insurance. It's 100% online. They never require a medical exam ever, and prices start at $3 a month. Policies are available for 2, 10, and 20 years. The longer-term coverage is better if you're younger and you know you're going to need it for a long time. You have no need, by the way. If you want to get a quote, they're not going to make you put in your name, email, phone number so they can uh, they can uh, market to you later. Nope, none of that. You can be completely anonymous and get your quote to see what it will cost. And you'll feel so much better because you're on your way to getting the coverage that you need, especially here going in the holidays. Apply at hellobestow.com. That's hello, B-E-S-T-O-W.com slash M-W-F. What do you got here, Bobby? It's that big time. What's your big takeaway? We recently did a story, Joe, on elder care and on elder fraud. And part of this relates to that. This guy wasn't diagnosed with Alzheimer's until after he made this huge purchase, just like someone in our lives might go on a late night online shopping spree that we don't prevent because we assume they're mentally competent. It doesn't occur to us that they're going to go out and spend money that they don't have and create this financial chaos. So keep close tabs on those you care about so they don't spend money unwisely. Raise the red flag. Don't be over leveraged yourself, but protect your family as well. And as much as there might be tension in this case with the third wife and the kids, they're going to have to work together to protect their family generational wealth. And as I always say, it is a family ecosystem. And one way to love each other is to protect each other financially. Boy, you and you can't get away from that tension. I mean, people avoid those conversations because they don't want anything to do with the tension, but it's unavoidable. I mean, I'd rather have a little tension between my family members than have, uh, than have you know, all the money gone because we we did some foolish things. Yes. 
Yeah. My takeaway is on this idea of leverage, Bobby, because you know that when it comes to investing, you'll see people all the time that tell you, you know what, you could get rich quicker if you use other people's money, OPM, they'll even call it. When you use other people's money, realize that leverage does two things. Number one, it does make you accelerate faster when you're going up, but it also flushes you more quickly when you lose, which is why we saw in 2007, 2008, so many investors get completely uh, 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 bottomed out when it came to the problems with real estate. We're seeing the same, we've seen the same thing in stocks, right? People buy stocks and then they have margin calls. It's the same thing now we're seeing here in this piece with the art market. Using leverage on your investments, the number of stories about that going wrong should be a big time cautionary tale that um, I would stay away from leverage as much as possible. I totally agree. And I think that's so important. It's just not necessary. If you're doing what you need to reach your financial goals, no one should need to be leveraged. And certainly not like that. No, holy cow. Hey, Bobby, if people want to take part in our next poll, where did they go? At Money Friends Pod is our handle on both Instagram and Twitter. And we also put up the show taping times there. You can also find those and uh, all of the stories that we talk about on the show on our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. Go to the schedule area and you will see the links to the stories on the day that the show comes out. Speaking of uh, Monday's show, coming up on Monday, Bobby and I are going to talk about how to avoid going broke in retirement. How about that one? We'll see you back here Monday with that at Money With Friends. Bye-bye. This show is created and hosted by Joe Saul Cihai and Bobby Rebel, and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2019. Taylor Eichenberg engineered this show, and Ashley Wall is the producer. For a list of our friends who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other video or podcast without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with another episode of Money with Friends.